Matt Nickerson is the Associate Dean of Southern Utah University's Gerald R. Sherritt Library. Matt is a bit of a Renaissance man. He received his undergraduate degree at BYU in biochemistry a Master's of Fine Arts in Acting from the National Theatre Conservatory in Denver and a Master's in Library Science from BYU. Not only are Matt's credentials a credit to him, but he is also a co-founder of the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Wooden O Symposium. We've asked him here today to speak on how Wooden O came to be and help us learn a little more about what it entails. And much to the aggravation, I'm sure, of the theater majors, I was getting great roles. And yeah, who's, the, who's this biochemistry major taking yeah. my... And yeah. I wouldn't like that if I was them. Yeah. But I never even thought of that really until later in my life. That was pretty... That was probably disheartening to a lot of people. I do remember when I was a senior, I believe, I was taking a course in biophysical chemistry, which I still have no idea what it was about. But it was a very difficult class, and I happened to be in a production of Othello at the same time. Oh, and wow. I had just enough time in the... I was only in the first half of the play, and so I would leave the stage in my costume and go to a study hall in the chemistry building with a beard and a robe, <laughs> you know, and I, would, and, I would do, and I would do my study hall oh, and run back I'm just not... in time to be in the curtain. So you, you acted later, too, again, right? You spent some time. So, yeah. Yeah. So as I was going, uh, studying theater, but in the play, and another show I was in that I'd like to just get down on, on, on tape, because I did it with Chuck Metton, who's a... I yeah. don't know, should we get that specific and talk about people oh, at the absolutely. festival? Because Chuck, Chuck Metton was a director at, at the school, and he was doing his Opus Magnus, one of them, at that time. He had a dream his whole... You can talk to him about this and interview him later. But my understanding was he had this dream that he wanted to get a core cast of people and, and do Long Day's Journey into Night and All Wilderness with the same f cast of five in the middle. Okay. The two par the, the parents, the two sons, and then yeah. the maid. Or the... And, um, and can you imagine all the people that wanted to be in that, all the people that auditioned, and I was cast as Jamie in Long Day's Journey in the Night and Uncle Sid in Our Wilderness. <laughs> and it changed my life. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a stunning performance, and you do it every other night in a small theater. So one night, you'd be doing this comedy. I'd be the funny uncle, you know, yeah. an alcoholic, go up the stairs, and he does the whole thing, eating the lobster in the dinner table. Yeah. And then the next night, I would be the pitiful, drunken, sordid big brother. Yeah. And I would do that every other night. For, and, and, and those are two, you know, well, long days, that's a big role. So you had two roles, two nights. Back to back. Bio, biochemistry major in my senior year. And, and uh, it you just. You were treading water. It was, it was crazy. And, and, and long day's journey is a, it's a, it's a passionate play to be in. And we did it very well in a small theater. And we would come to take the curtain call some nights. And when the lights came up, it would uh -huh. just be silent. Oh, wow. And you would just hear people sobbing. And then one person would be like. <laughs> you know, like and then the they'd movies. all and then they'd yeah. all come out of it. So that was a big deal to me. So during that senior year, I, I had a lot of super great friends in theater, mm -hmm. and they were all going, "Hey, we're going to the league auditions. We're going to the league auditions." And I was like, "What's the league auditions?" Because um, I didn't know. And so they're like, "Yeah, you know, you can if you want to go into an MFA program. The league auditions is in a big city. You go to a big city, and all the major yeah. theater programs that they're auditioning, you don't have to go to all of them. Yep. You know." And, I was, and they're like, "You should go." And I was like, "Well, I'm like." I'm a biochemist, and and uh, you know I have I have a great family. My wife goes, if you don't go to the league auditions, you'll wish your whole life that you had gone. Yeah, <laughs> you know you'll always be saying, I wonder, I wonder. So I was like, okay, so I went to the league auditions in San Francisco, and I auditioned for all the MFA programs that I could get an MFA in if I don't have a bachelor's degree in theater. 
and and that's uh, not all of them. Uh, yeah, and that's not that many. <laughs> yeah, that's of them, not probably. Yale. That's yeah. not Carnegie Mellon. It's yeah. mostly the professional acting programs. Gotcha. You know, and there was hun hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people auditioning, and I was accepted at the National Theater Conservatory for oh, that wow. audition. So then I'm at home, and I was actually the first alternate, and they called me a week before it started and said, you know, somebody dropped out. Do you want to come to school? And I was like, oh, and I was married. I had a brand new baby. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I called my dad, and he was like, you know, a lot of people never even get a chance to follow their dream. Yeah. So if you get a chance, you should go for it. And if you can't, you know, if you need some money along the way, I'll help uh -huh. you. So I was like, yeah, touchdown. And so then I went to the, I went to a professional acting program. Oh, and wow. I did that for three years, and I acted at the Denver Center as part of my, as part of your education. You would, you MFA would get small parts or? in an, yeah, and I MFA? got an MFA. Wow. Right. And so then, then, I, and I worked summer stock. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I had two kids. I had been working professionally. I hadn't, you know, in, in the theater, you, you're in a show and you're auditioning for your next show. Yeah. I was in a show. I had my next job lined up and I just looked, my wife and I decided, you know, this is not the way we want to raise a family for the rest of our life. And Moving I just decided, every, yeah. Yeah. And I just decided not to do theater anymore. But the awesome thing for me is what? I went and auditioned. I never have to wonder, could I have done it? Because do I it. did it. Yeah. And then we made, I got to make one of the few people that got to make the choice. Never waited tables. And I just said, you know, I'm going to do something different. And I went back to graduate school again. No, first of all, I worked for a company that makes heart and lung machines. <laughs> heart and lung machines. So that's a whole other story because I, I, had a degree in, I had a degree in biochemistry. Yeah, that's um, what you I, do. I had called my, you know, the last company and said, I'm not going to take that role. You know, thanks for all that. And I did all that professionally. And then I read an ad in the paper that said, you know, we're looking for someone with a degree in biology or chemistry, must be comfortable working with large amounts of blood. Okay. And I was like cool that's the job for me sounds like a good time and my wife is a microbiologist phlebotomist and a blood chemist so i was like yeah oh wow so i signed up for that job worked for them it was a great job and i was doing and i i grew up and i mean i moved up in the in the company i was doing i got my own research projects and i went to the boss one day and goes wow you know i'm doing research like all these other guys but i'm still being paid like a nobody uh-huh he said well they're all engineers and I was like, yeah but i'm doing the exact same job yeah i have my own research project he said well you have to be an engineer I said, can you say two weeks? That's how long I'm here. Then I went back to graduate school again. <laughs> For, and that's how, how you ended up in the library. Right? Yes, and I, went, I got a degree in information science. And my mom was in graduate school the same year. How awesome is that? That is pretty awesome. Not the same graduate school. Nope, she was in linguistics. <laughs> But she lived in an apartment not far from us, which was pretty cool for yeah. the grandkids. So then, so there I was with all those three degrees. And actually, there's more to that story, but we won't. You're you're in the running for most interesting man, like in the Dos Equis commercials. <laughs> because really, you know, because I I was actually accepted to a different graduate school when I was accepted for act for the MFA program. Yeah, because you so, probably had applied to some yeah. biochemistry stuff. Well, right? no, no, I was, okay. I was going somewhere else actually. So I'd been accepted at a dual degree. No, wait a minute. Yeah, because I. It, even at another age, I wanted, I sort of wanted to be a librarian or work in information science. So before I went to acting school, I was actually accepted into a graduate program at Columbia in New York City. That's oh, a wow. dual degree in the Columbia Library School and the New York School of the Arts to be a paper conservator. Oh, wow. How awesome would that have been? That would be amazing. You know, so, and, and how often did they get an applicant in the library school that had a degree in chemistry? Like, never. Yeah. So, since, and since they want to study you study paper chemistry and art conservation and yeah. restoring old books, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, but I didn't do that. So now we get back around to, I'm graduating from library school and I'm looking at the job offerings and there's a job in Cedar city, Utah, which I already know, of course, has the Utah Shakespearean festival. And they actually had a job <laughs> opening for a theater teacher. 
Really? And I applied to both of them and was interviewed the same day for both <laughs> for of both, those. For both I was offered a job for both at one time. Oh, wow. But I really told, um, yeah, and, and I probably couldn't have got the theater job anyway. It wouldn't have been as much fun. Teaching is not as much fun as doing it. And uh, when I was in library school, I actually taught at that university's theater program while I was going to library school. While you were going to library school. To help pay for it, yeah. So then I was here. I was in library school. Now we'll get to, now that we've passed the first two hours of conversation, (laughs) we'll get to how we get to the wouldn't know, right? Yeah, we want to, I don't think a lot of people uh, that that come, that buy tickets and visit the (laughs) festival and see plays, I don't think that many people really know what the wouldn't know is, what it's for, you know, why, that, why we and, do it? And that's our fault. You know, we yeah. should be doing a better job of that. And I think lately with the growing success of The Grove since I've gotten here, yeah. and really just people who come year in and year out are, are anxious to know more than just watch the plays now. And they're going to The Grove, and The Grove's cranking up every year of the kind of yep. questions you get and what people are interested in. I mean, some people have been to The Grove and heard people do the same show four times probably. Yeah, probably. What more are they going to learn about Richard III? They've been there and that's the kind of people that we think were really would benefit and enjoy coming to the Wood Know, but that's not how it started. Yeah. So we'll rewind and we'll go back. <laughs> and here's here's another story. So when I come to the university, a strange thing happens to me is Wait, when did you how long ago did you come to Southern Utah University? Two. Okay. Too long ago. Too long ago? <laughs> too yeah. to what? To twenty five. Twenty five years. Oh wow. And I never thought I would stay this long. I never thought You're I'd stuck, be baby. Utah. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay, I'm sorry, but we were wound. You know, and I so you. the thing is, and then in libraries, and libraries awesome. You know, it's fun. I love information. I love the research. I love the idea that there's so much information at your hand. You can learn whatever you want, yep. and you can pursue angles whenever you want. The way my mind works, that's how it is. You know, if you're reading one article and it mentions a side thing, at a computer nowadays, you can just, for a few clicks, Follow you're the off chain. learning something yeah. else. And it's amazing. But I realize most people don't think that way. And most students aren't anxious to learn that skill or that art of doing that. Yeah. So, you know, library was is a great place, but it was never satisfying enough. I wasn't going to do that for 25 years. I'd have, I would have killed myself long ago. <laughs> and so and something in my head and the way I think, and because I have degrees in probably three totally different things, that tells you the way I'm thinking. And yeah. So a lot of the projects I wanted to pursue outside of the library were always far beyond the library. I was always looking to, to join up with someone else who knew something that I was interested in, but I didn't know that much about. Yeah. And as a way for me to learn more and for them to create, come into a project that's pretty cool. So a lot of the projects that I've started in 25 years, some have failed and some have not, have been me going way outside the boundaries of my own work, but bringing something to the project that's valuable and finding people who want to do something with me. Yeah, bringing people together. And that's what happens. So yeah. I'm sitting there, and, and oftentimes it's not, it's to my own detriment sometimes or not, but sometimes I'm thinking of projects that really are for someone else. Like I'm thinking of the Shakespeare Festival. They're awesome. I think I went to my first show in 1982, something like that. Oh, I wow. That, I, have one, I gotta get that button, right? 1982. Yeah, right. Uh, and I saw Troilus and Crescent, and it was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if they've done it since then. <laughs> Probably, yeah. but maybe once since then. Uh huh. You know, and but that's a credit to the festival right there. I still remember a production of Troilus and Crescent from 1982. That's that and that that tells you a lot. About that the does, festival, yeah. Right so anyway. And I'm sitting in my office, and I'm thinking, I love the festival. Obviously, I'm acting. I actually auditioned for the festival several times. Oh, in, in the and past. Was, and was never hired. <laughs> so anyway, I was thinking of, well, you know, I, we're here at university. The Wood Knows has been here all this time, and they're a fabulous production. They're a fabulous company. 
but they're at a university. How come there's not more, there's not a scholarly side to what they're doing over there? I mean, we should take advantage of the fact that here's a world-class Shakespeare festival yeah. connected to a university, yet there's none of that scholarship that would come from being here connected yeah. to it when Shakespeare's one of the most fruitful subjects of scholarship on the planet. Yeah. People have been trying to figure him out for 400 years. They've been writing books about him for 400 years. People still don't, haven't, haven't said the last word on him. Yeah. And so I was like, why don't we, why, don't, why doesn't someone do that? So I picked up the phone, and we're not going to mention any names. I picked up the phone, and I looked in the phone book, and I found the education person at the festival. Ah. So I called him and said, yo, I'm a librarian. <laughs> you know, I, no wonder it didn't go anywhere. I was like, I'm a yeah, librarian. I'm a I have librarian. Great idea. And I have an idea. You know, the library How and the Shakespeare Festival should that? get together and make a Shakespeare scholarly conference and get professors from all over the world to come to Cedar City and read papers on Shakespeare, <laughs> you know, obscure things that no one's thought about in 400 years that something new came. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, okay. Sounds like a party. And they never got back to me. <laughs> and so then like three years later, I heard through the grapevine, oh, the Shakespeare Festival has a new education director. I was like, oh, might as well call him. So I call education and somebody picks up the phone. Hi, this is Michael Barr. I'm like, oh, yeah. hey, Mike, you know, this is Matt Nickerson. I'm over at the library. I had this idea that I want to do. Maybe we could do a scholarly conference. He's like, wow, yeah. And we start talking and then we make an appointment. He comes to my office. Yeah. So that's how it, that's how that's it started. How it he, someone said yes. And then we got together. And I still remember the first day in my junkie office, we were trying to come up with a name. I think the name's actually the name's really, amazing. really good. Yeah. And so we're, we're like, you know, Shakespeare thing, Bard Bash, you know, we're coming up with all these things. And Things I remember you, yeah, Michael's expect. like, Michael's like, well, what are other words for a conference? Because conference sounds, you know, whatever. And I was like, well, you know, there's conferences and there's meetings and there's symposia. And uh -huh. then he started doing that and then he got alliterative and he's like, you know, wouldn't, oh, and then he's like, and then, then we talked about that we have the theater. What's unique about the Shakespeare Festival? What's unique about SUU? Yeah. And then somehow it just came out the Wood No Symposium. Well, when you're talking about a subject like Shakespeare, um, I, I, there's probably been tens of thousands of papers published just on Hamlet. Oh yeah. You know, over the years. Um, Absolutely. What what do you what no, do you want good. to achieve here in Cedar City with this conference? I, I mean. Is this part of the larger dialogue about Shakespeare and, and medieval studies I think in the academic world? Or, or are we trying to maybe introduce the people that are already coming here to our Shakespeare Festival? Oh, no, it was never meant for uh, our people when we began. When you began. But that yeah. became clear later that it should be. Yeah. And I can tell more of that story, too. What we what. Well, what I wanted to do was just promote the Shakespeare Festival, promote the university. Yeah. I was, I, my idea was something to benefit the university and the festival together in a way that they weren't to get more bang for the buck from what they were already doing. Yeah. And so initially, but if you're going to, there's a lot of conferences. <laughs> there's a lot, there of, conferences. a lot of conferences. And yeah. there's two or three Shakespeare conferences too. So when Michael and I were talking, it stems from my idea that began the whole thing, that we have something that's unique and different. Uh -huh. I mean, Ashland's is, Ashland is out of school. The Black Friars are out of school, but they weren't doing this kind of thing, and I thought we should. Yeah. Um, and so the, the idea of the conference was to bring scholars but that surround the life and works of Shakespeare. And we do. We have a lot of papers that are just the classic, you know, trying to get into Hamlet's head, yep. you know, in a new way. Good luck, but people still think they can. Yeah. But I was, I was more thinking of like that Venn diagram where all these other disciplines intersect with Shakespeare. With That's Shakespeare. the way I'm thinking. How does everything intersect? How does biochemistry and theater and library come together in my head? I'm thinking that's an interesting thing, and that's what the festival, the, the Wood Know was about. 
and because we call it a cross-disciplinary conference based on the life and the works and influence of Shakespeare. Yeah. And so we get some fascinating papers. And, and one of the things that really struck me in the beginning was that people didn't realize what that was going to be at the beginning. And the first people who came to present and read papers were the classic English professors yeah. doing the Hamlet paper that we're talking about. But we would go out and we would purposely try to pursue people. And the thing, offerings that we gave when they came yeah. started people people thinking. And I remember one of the first, second, or third years, one of the things we were trying to do is get performance in to performance to speak to the scholarship. Okay. Because those two worlds stay so far apart. So far apart, yeah. But they don't realize how close they are. Because the, the festival actors, the great actors that come to the festival, especially the seasoned ones, yeah. are Shakespeare scholars. Yeah, they, they are. And, in true. so many ways. You are not going to play it the powerful way these guys and get, and ladies are doing it unless you know a lot about Shakespeare. It's true. And so, but the scholars don't know that. And they love to, they think it's the artsy thing and they want to see the actors. So in the beginning, we would have actors come and do one of the, and sign up to come and do a paper, yeah. to do a presentation. And I remember one of the things that started this whole thing and started the ball rolling was David Ivers doing a paper, quote unquote, on playing Caliban. Okay. Okay. And he's talking about all this research and these the guy, the professors, the scholars came, you know, hoping to see behind the backstage. You know, that's yeah. what they were hoping to see. And yet they got this guy that was just so well-spoken, so steeped in yeah. Shakespeare. And I remember him talking about an acting choice he had made about the psychological state of Caliban's mother. Yeah. But every time there was a word, he would, he would stumble and, and, and um, stutter yeah. when he had a word that began with M. The <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he had this whole backstory whole about backstory why he was doing why that. that was. And it was it was amazing. And and the and so the scholars, quote unquote, the professors that are there are just blown, blown away. away. Yeah. You know, they thought he just would, you know, eat granola in the morning, come out and boom, he'd be this actor and put on a costume. No idea the hours and hours he put in before he even showed up at the first rehearsal. Yeah. And what he knew and they start asking questions that are scholarly questions, not performance questions necessarily. Yeah. So that's how the whole thing started going. And since then we still have a good number of people who are, who are writing, who are English professors writing that, but we have performance people coming and talking about how does performance speak to text. And we have people talking about the punctuation in the text and how that speaks to performance. Yeah. And then we have people talking about the history, and these are the ones that I love. You know, what was happening in the church that was causing um, the theaters to be closed and opened and closed and opened. Yeah. And and then track the plays that were being performed or not performed, not performed during yeah. when the with the ebb and flow of religion in the Elizabethan time. I mean, uh -huh. that's that's cool. Yeah. That you know. Is and this is the so. beginning of the scientific revolution. Uh -huh. And so you can imagine papers on the Tempest that are talking about the rise of science in Elizabethan time and how and how in Prospero or in Miranda or in the cave or the book, just the power of the word book yeah. when you place it in historical context. And the guy coming to give the paper or the woman giving the paper is not an English professor. Mm -hmm. She's a history professor or yeah. she's a scientist yeah. or, a, or the history of science. And then we, and we even invite people that aren't professors. We try to do that as best we can and we call them aficionado. So you can come as an undergrad, a grad, a, an academic or a professional academic or an aficionado. One of my favorite papers is this dude that's a aficionado, <laughs> and he's a he's an amateur astro astronomer. Astronomer, okay. And so he's he's doing research on when comets were viewable on the Earth in oh, England. Wow. Well, he, 
all Earthsea's comets. But anyway, and he comes up with this crazy idea that, and I don't remember how many of there were, but there were two or three or something, comets that could be seen with the naked eye during Elizabethan time. And like the very next play that Shakespeare wrote after that has a comet in it or something. Yeah. I mean, just stuff like that. <laughs> Who doesn't want to come and just, yeah, just, just listen to that, yeah. you know? Anecdotes. And, and then speaking of how the powerful the actors was to the, to the scholars, yeah. I, don't even want, I don't want to talk about Woodnow without bringing up Michael Flockman because he's, like he's like the third guy yeah, of, sure. of me and Michael after we got it rolling. Uh-huh. And after we started thinking, we've got to bring more of the actor into it and stuff. And Michael Flockman, we have to keep him separate here now. Michael Flockman came, comes up with this great idea after he sees sort of how people reacted to David Ivers thing so he has an actor panel so one of the one of the sessions at the conference is they yeah. bring in about four or five actors from one show and the director and michael flockman and he's yeah. like the oprah winfrey and they come and, <laughs> and he asks them questions in front of the audience like what were you thinking or what was your theme yeah and then, and, and then and they'll have the director say something and then he'll then he'll call in one of the actresses well how did that work how did you work with this director yeah. and man the scholars just eat that up yeah. They just can't get enough of it, especially when someone will say something, we're doing Henry V, and then one of the actors will say something about, you know, um, the prince, Machiavelli. Yeah. And now all the scholars want to go, oh, Machiavelli, we know. And then they'll all want to yeah. get up and <laughs> talk about it, not realizing, you know, that that 24-year-old actress yeah. playing whatever just dropped Machiavelli on all you guys. And you yeah. didn't notice. It's true. You know, you thought she was just a pretty face, <laughs> you know. And it was, and those became huge. And then Michael's genius also, Flockman, is it? is we started putting it in the journal. So he would tape it and he would transcribe it and oh, it would wow. become an article in the Wooden Journal, journal which journal. we haven't talked about. Yeah. But, and, and now you can go into, into pretty significant Shakespeare English peer-reviewed journals and you can find people citing the actor roundtable, not necessarily a journal. Yeah. Of what an actor said about whatever Machiavelli during a discussion, yeah. and now they're citing that in a paper they're doing on, you know, Henry the Fourth Part One and Machiavelli or whatever. Uh-huh. It's awesome. It is awesome. And that was Michael's gen- Michael Flockman's genius, and he hosted that from the first time he thought of it until let's see, last year or two years ago. The, I mean, yeah, the summer he passed, so he passed away. away. He, had, he had been doing the actor roundtable a week before that or something crazy like that. Oh wow! I mean, he followed his passion to the end. It's just it's a great story, and he. And that really became one of the highlights that people were all, we did it last. Yeah. <laughs> it was the last thing. And everybody actor gets people to panel. stay, you know. Most scholarly mm-hmm. conferences, you know, you go, they do their paper, and then they yeah, go to Zion or whatever. You yeah. know, they go ride horses in the Grand Canyon. That kept people here to the last day. Because the charismatic people talk last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> you know, the actors, the actresses. And at first it was in a little room. Then we did it in the Thorley Recital Hall. And now we do it in the Adams Theater the last I'm glad you brought that up. I was amazed. Uh, actually, several actors I've talked to, uh, Henry Warnitz. He's done it several about, times. Yeah, about their knowledge of the text. He's, uh, you, uh, you take for granted how much time performers spend with text when they're good at their job. Uh, and, it, and it really does rival people sitting under uh, you know, the classic image of, of a professor under a library lamp. Yep. You know, the and, investment is the same. And I love to see the young actors and actresses that come to work with these guys, like Henry and other people who have been yeah. acting their whole lives. They learn the homework. They learn what it's going to take. If you want to yeah. be one of these kind of people, you want to work every summer or whatever. Yeah. You know, they learn what it takes and how to do that and how you bring the learning. I mean, there's nothing worse than trying to watch someone show you how much they learned over the summer doing their part on, doing stage. Their part on stage. That's yeah. that's disaster. But when that weight is behind a performance. It's, it takes it to another level, and I think young actors learn that here. This is, this is a very knowledgeable company, and, yeah. and the history they have, and, the, and with the seasoned actors and these new people they bring along, it's, 
this is this is why we need regional theater. This is the this is the real training ground of the great actors that are going to be on stage in America. That's awesome. I love these guys. I love it. So you have another project you're working on. It's kind of just getting off the ground. Um, yes. I don't want you to put us all behind the curtain too soon, you know, to jinx it. I know I know that can happen sometimes, but it concerns uh, Shakespeare in the American West yeah. and kind of the, the the legacy and history of that sort of spread. Of yeah. I don't even. Do you have specific questions? I'm because <laughs> I don't know where to go well, what's yet. A, what's on the grant I'm application? All over the place. I'm all yeah. over. like my first question is when when is the Wild West? Yeah. And so I'm wrestling with that because Shakespeare was was part of the culture west of the Mississippi as soon as Europeans came. came they were bringing yeah. I just today, found, you should ask that, I found the first, and I'm kind of, uh, there's a lot of mythology about Shakespeare in the West, and so if I'm going to use them in my presentation or my papers or whatever, I'm going to try to track it down to some journal or something that's not just everybody quoting everybody else and no one knows where the story first got told. Yeah, oral but tradition. And so today, I, this is the oldest one I have today, and I think it's 18. 23, but if you come to the thing, you'll find out what the real number was. But in 1823, there's actually a Utah mountain man who in his journal mentioned that this other mountain man was teaching this mountain man friend of his how to read using Shakespeare, Shakespeare. at the at the mountain man rendezvous up by whatever, uh, north, north, northeast Utah, Bear Lake or somewhere up there. Seriously. Yeah. So what I'm looking for is we, we want to, how far back should I go for this? As far as you want to. In 2016, okay, in yeah. 2016, the Library of Congress and the Folger Library and the American Library Association yeah. are getting together and they're going to put a first folio in every state. That's their goal. This is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And yeah. the Virgin Islands and Guam and all those other places. Puerto Rico, yeah. So... Uh, the announcement came out, and I was like, wow, that would be really cool. And who else should get it but SUU? But, you know, people, it really needs to be on the Wasatch Front. And just so you know, the library already had a first photo over yeah, here a couple, only years, a couple ago. years ago. Yep. So I wrote to all the universities, and I said, hey, man, someone should do this. This is going to be awesome. A first photo is going to have to come to Utah. Let's yeah. not fight over it. Let's all decide where it should be, and we'll all go band together and do something really cool. Yeah. And they all wrote back and said, well, you're, you're SUU. You do the photo thing. And I was like, no, no. And so I couldn't get any university to take it. Really? So when I was talking to people in advancement, and Donna Law, she's awesome. She knows everybody. She used to work for the festival. There you go. Yeah. And uh, she knew somebody. And so finally they got enough people together that got interested in it. And now it just got announced last week. It's coming to Utah in the fourth quarter of 2016. They haven't. They don't know which month yet. Everybody gets it for one month. Yeah. It's going to be coming in the fourth quarter, October, November, December. And it's going to be hosted by the Salt Lake Public Library. Cool. And the Leonardo may help. I'm not sure. But that's the official host, I believe, is going to be the Salt Lake the Public Salt Library. The Salt Lake Library, right on. So then when that was all happening, you're wondering why I'm bringing that up. But I'm thinking, well, sure, it's not going to be here. But people are going to be going to this thing and nothing should happen on the Wasatch Front that says Shakespeare without SUU and the festival being like there. Yeah. Like in people's face. So they know this just didn't sneak in and we don't know. Yeah, we, there should be. We graciously allowed it to be up there. <laughs> we made this happen. Yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> so then I So what thinking, sort of corollary events can you, can you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what can we do? So we're not stepping on their toes, but it'll, but it'll be cool. Yeah. So I started doing research and I, cause I kind of heard about this before and I was not prepared for how amazingly awesome it's going to be. And so we want to do a small museum exhibit in the Special Collections Library where we had the first folio before yeah. on Shakespeare in the West. And all this stuff is when I'm like, I could just, I could tell you so many stories, but people won't remember it anyway. It won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, they will. Like, this here's is this, fascinating. Here's this, like this mountain man, speaking of mountain man, the other one that is, and I have a citation for the journal, but I haven't seen it yet. And I won't use it in the museum, I don't think. 
unless I find the actual thing, but I might anyway, because you can always couch it in, well, the mythology of the West says. Yeah. But Jim Bridger never learned yeah. to read, but he loved Shakespeare, supposedly, and a lot of mountain men said that he would, that around the fire, he could just do it, tell long story. He could quote it quite extensively, and they yeah. loved hearing it. But he loved it so much, I've heard this, that he wanted, uh, he wanted either a book of Shakespeare or the complete works, I'm not sure, but he took a, a yoke of oxen, two oxen, yeah. and he went up to the Oregon Trail and just stopped everybody going by and said, do you have Shakespeare, do you have Shakespeare? I will give you these two oxen on the Oregon Trail if you will give me a work of Shakespeare. Really? And he finally found someone that did it, and that's how he got his first book of Shakespeare, even though he couldn't read it. And then he hired some guy to read it to him, a kid, supposedly a German kid to read it to him. What I haven't even got to is the actors is the last thing that, that could maybe think people may want to come down to hear about what we're going to do. I read this thing that said Keane Buchanan performed Shakespeare on a stage that was nothing more than a Sequoia Redwood that stump. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Now, so I found out that, yes, there was a theater on a, on a stump, and they did dances there. They did concerts. There's no record yet. Yeah. And Keane Buchanan did did perform. Well, that's a whole other story because the – he did perform in the mining camp. So the great, the greatest actors of the 19th century yeah. came to San Francisco and would perform in these big theaters that would burn down every three years. Yeah. And they would build finer and finer ones. And it was almost like being in Boston or Savannah or New York. You know, They were really fine theaters. But as soon as the theater season was over or the audience is starting to go down a little bit, the greatest actors in history would play in the mining camps. Oh, wow. Julius Brutus Booth. Yep played the stage in Rough and Ready, California. Really? Nevada City, Sonora, stages that, one of the stages was two billiard tables put together and they put boards across it. And if you ended from stage left, you had to climb through a window and it go down a ladder. <laughs> this is Junius Booth, Edwin Booth's brother. Father, and his father. His father, okay. And June was there too. June was there too. The last okay. time June and Edwin saw their father perform was a benefit in San Francisco of Richard III before he left. Oh, this, wow. I'm, I'm blowing, this is like one of the key features of the whole thing that I just discovered. <laughs> Thank you. Look at this. Thank and you, you know how the behind booths, the curtain. And the, everybody thought the booths were like mystic and kind of crazy, and they yeah. were. And they were. And yeah. they were alcoholics, and they were geniuses. Uh -huh. So here are these boys, and they see the dad, Junius Bruce, that's the dad, senior. He plays Richard III, the last night of his benefit, to make enough money to take the boat back to New York. Uh-huh. And before he leaves, he takes the, and they all have their own costumes that they travel with. Yeah. He takes the crown that he plays Richard III with, and he passes it down. Oh, wow. And, and to then, Edwin? And, to... Uh, you'll have to come to the thing. I don't remember. Okay. Which, <laughs> I can't remember if it was June or Edwin. But most people, well, everybody thinks Edwin is, is the greatest of the brothers That's now. the name you hear the most, yeah, yeah. As, as far as actor. And then, and Edwin, Edwin is, goes on a tour of the camps, and he's in, he's in Nevada City, or he's in Marysvale, and they get caught in this huge blizzard. And, and they can't make any money. He's playing the banjo to make money yeah. for food. June, Edwin Booth is playing <laughs> the banjo to make money nowhere. And he gets the word that his father has passed away in New Orleans. Oh, wow. That the senior had passed away, who had given him or his brother the crown, the crown. of Richard III, like some mystical way knowing. Passing on the torch. Yeah. You can't. If that was a movie, nobody'd believe it. Some of the some of the company actors are the most fascinating people. They're not famous. Yeah. And if you start looking at them, they're in every theater. They're playing the third, you know, the next lower down guy enough to have a name. Yeah. Who are those people? Keen Buchanan is one of those that supposedly played on the stump. Yeah. You know, he's he's recognized as a pretty great Shakespearean actor, but not he's not Edward Booth. He's not Forrest, who also yeah. came west. Um, Janet, uh, Sarah Kirby, super famous. And an, we, well, you can come back because I can do a whole hour on it when I really yeah, know about it. Yeah. But another cool thing <laughs> is that 
women managers became big in California. Yeah. And there was no women managing in New York at this time. Uh -huh. So when you get to the West, things are loose and things are open and it gives opportunity for people that don't. And yeah. so these women turned out to be the best managers. The guys were all prima, what's a, what's a male prima donna? They were all prima donnas. <laughs> prima donna. And they were alcoholics. <laughs> and they were alcoholics. Because you know? you're in the West, you had to you be know, an alcoholic, June, right? Junius Booth is not going to manage a theater. Yeah. The guy's a disaster, you know? <laughs> but you put him in the, you just put the, you put the costume on him and put him up there and he would just, he would, he would just make people cry. But he, He's, he's not, don't put him, make him responsible for payroll. He's not an administrator. Oh my yeah, goodness, no. no. <laughs> and so what it turns out is these women, actors and actresses who would marry each other, and some of them were both very great, you know, really good actors. Yeah. But the, when, the, when the woman ran the, play, the theater, they were, they were successful. And that's one of the things Sarah Kirby did, and she married some other guy, John Stark or somebody. He was pretty famous too, but yeah. I'm just now learning the names. But that's how you do it. And you're just following names and papers and ads. And you just find the coolest little stories about... Because you're, you're looking at Edwin Booth and you're hoping you're going to find an ad for him playing the first Hamlet or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes you just find little things that a newspaper people discover about them. Like my last project last week, and I do this at home, by the way, too. Yeah. The university's not paying me to study Shakespeare. I'm the associate dean of the library. Yeah. I'm responsible <laughs> this for is like... This is recreation. I'm like approving people's day off all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, it is at night, but it's awesome. And and my latest project was to figure out the, the Western premiere of every Shakespeare play every Shakespeare ever play. performed in the West. Oh, wow. When was the very first performance? Who? What theater was it in? What the day was, and who started? What What did it correspond with historically? And so now, what I'm one of the things I think I'm going to figure out, what I hope to that no one's done, is trying to figure out which ones were performed when women were managing the theater too, if, oh, to wow. see if that's anything. But there were certain managers who were Shakespeare tragedians that would be performance. So you'll 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 see a theater do no no Shakespeare, and then suddenly for three months for three weeks or a month. They would just be doing all the Shakespeare. Yeah. And these guys were amazing. I was just looking in December of 1850-something, and, and it was John Stark or somebody. And, and I'm just looking through two weeks for the California Theater or the Tahama, you know, or the Jenny Lind. And this guy's starting. You're looking at the ads, and he does Julie, and he's like Richard III, and he does it two nights. Then he's doing Macbeth for three nights. Then he's doing Lear for two nights. And this is all in the same two weeks. Same oh, wow. guy. This is repertory, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, the next time that happens at Shakespeare, the same yeah. guys playing Hamlet and Macbeth and Richard III in the same... See, that would be what it's like, though. Yeah. These guys were amazing, amazing memories, and they're amazing costumes. And, um, well, how long do you want to know? How I will be able to do a 10-hour show yeah. when I get done because they weren't doing the folio Shakespeare. Because people had rewritten Shakespeare to make them smaller, yes, to make them more interesting, and to give them happy endings. Apparently, <laughs> and so um, more, more producible is yeah. what they say. And, yeah, and apparently, you know, minors are really soft-hearted. You know, <laughs> they, they like a happy ending. They do. Seriously. They got a heart in their lives. Seriously, yeah. And um, so one of these guys, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. John, St I, I don't have all the names today, but one of the guys does that. And he says, but I and he says in two weeks I'm going to do the Folio King Lear. Oh, and wow. it gets everybody up in arms. And it took him a little longer to, to develop it. And yeah. so before this, I think Edgar and and Cordelia like get married at the end or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, the King of France is probably not even in the play. I don't even know. Yeah. But and, and it was and, he, and it was a, and it caused a revolution. You know that Cordelia died and yeah, and he brings her out and all that awesome thing that now is is what everybody is like waiting canon. for. You know. Yeah. And so they had these short versions, and Romeo and Juliet would get married at the end. And, 
stuff like that. Yeah, the happy ending. Oh, that's amazing. We'll have to have you on again as this exhibit takes more shape. Because I haven't, you know, the, the camps is what I'll talk about too. The camps. Because the greatest guys in the world would play the tiniest camps. And they would pay, and at the curtain call, they would throw bags of gold dust on the stage for them if they were good. Oh, wow. I mean, these guys were so rich and just so, it was just a crazy, crazy time. Crazy time. And the theater and the towns would burn all the time. Edwin went on a Edwin Booth went on a tour and five successive theaters and towns burned down either <laughs> while he was there or right after he left. Oh wow. And and, and they get it, it, the whole mystic thing of the booths got all started up again. People stopped booking him after a while, right? And there, yeah. And there was some famous play at that time called the the Fairy Queen or something, and they started calling him the Fiery King or something like that. <laughs> but little tiny, tiny stages. And remember, to get to California, they'd have to sail from New York to Panama. And they'd take a boat up these rivers half the way up to Panama. Oh, and they'd wow. get on wagons to get to the Pacific Ocean. That's incredible. And these are the greatest actors of all time. And they'd go through that several times in their careers to get to California. To get to California to, to do a run of They could make 10 times as much in San Francisco as they could in New York during the heyday oh, wow. of the Wild West. That's incredible. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just scratching the You're surface. just scratching the surface. We get that sense. It's coming through clear as day. Uh, someday I hope to be more like you, Matt. That's amazing. Crazy? <laughs> no, not crazy. You just uh, Your mind is always accelerating towards uh, terminal velocity. Right? It's such a great... It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know where it's going to take me, but it's... Oh, that's, we'll talk more about this um, once the exhibit takes more shape. Uh, as we get closer to Wooden Elm. Yeah, it'll be 20... The, the, the exhibit will be... The summer of 2016. Summer of 2016. Cool. Yeah. And, and hopefully inter interact with the festival so they can see it. We want, we might want, we want to stretch it all the way until the folio comes, but it could be yeah. as late as December until gotcha. the folio comes. Okay, excellent, excellent. And then what no in August? Got always that to the, look forward almost to? Almost always the first week in August. First week in August. Okay, excellent. Right on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank um, you for having me. It's been amazing. Uh, we could really sit here for about six hours and just listen to your stories. <laughs> so thank you. This is going to be great. Thank you again for listening to the Play On Podcast.